What up, H-Town? Hey, how's it going? He's How are we doing? Blank, I'm Brian. What was that? It's been a hell of a day, You're Jeremy. You're dying. I'm dying. This might be the, this is the first time I may ever say that this is going to be the most enjoyable three hours of my day. Oh, that's the only time you say that? Mm-hmm. It's weird. I said it might be. <laughs> it's a weird thing moving to say. Moving sucks. Yeah, moving's awful. Uh, uh, so you're doing it all today or what? All weekend. Sounds Started fun. today, 7 a.m. You could have done it last weekend before there was, you know, no college football. Don't get me started. <laughs> Do not get me started. He's blank on Branham. It's Joe George, assistant to the regional manager behind the glass. And it is a Friday edition of the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN uh, 92.5. Lots to get to today. We have two guests, which might be the first time in the Joe George era that we've had uh, two guests. DJ Bianami will be joining us at 3.30 on the phone. DJ? DJ will be joining us at 3.30 on the phone, and the voice of the Astros, Todd Callis, will be joining us at 4.30 ahead of the Astros opening up a three-game series against the last-place New York Yankees. Last-place Yankees uh, coming into town. The Astros did make their roster moves today, Blankers. The uh, the two players that they've called up, Greg Kessinger, as we kind of predicted, nailed that one. And the second guy they called up, Joel. Joel's being called up to the Houston Astros. Joel Kunell is the... 26th player on the Houston Astros. That pitcher, remember the kind of the chubby guy looked like oh, he played the guy that looked like beer league softball. Yeah, it looked like he was like a uh, six foot five, three hundred and fifteen pound guy. That guy, yeah, he, play, he might be able to play left guard for the Houston Texans. Yeah, I was going to say he might be better at football than he was at pitching the last time around. Did he come from like Cincinnati or Cleveland? Uh, Pittsburgh, I think. Maybe one of those NL Central teams. I don't remember, but uh, yeah, he got the call, which was not. Uh, I was thinking Seth Martinez. I was thinking Ronel Blanco. I can understand the fear of calling up Ronel Blanco, and then you have to like make a decision where you're sending him down. And you have to, you know, put him on waivers, which you don't want to do that. So I can get it not being Ronel Blanco. Maybe Seth Martinez worked recently in the minors, and he's not fresh, and they're going with a fresh arm. They'll send him down in a couple of days for Seth Martinez. Who knows? Uh, but Greg Kessinger and uh, Joel Kunell. I think is how you pronounce it. Joel, maybe not going to be here very long. But those are the two that get the call up. And Dusty's also out with his lineup already against the lefty Carlos Rodon. I guess it's not already. It's, it's, it's our new schedule, not really Dusty's new schedule. Uh, but the, uh, the Astros going with a little bit of different look behind Justin Verlander, again, against the lefty. They're going Altuve, Bregman, Jordan playing the field in left field behind a fly ball pitcher. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Tucker, Abreu, Yiner, DHs. Pena Myers Maldonado. Uh, interesting that Dubon, Justin Verlander's personal center fielder, is not his personal center fielder today. And then it's really interesting, in my opinion, that Chaz McCormick, after a day off, is sitting against yeah, a left-handed I, pitcher. The first thing, and I and I caught the center field. <clears throat> excuse me, but why is Chaz not playing? I, I, just, I haven't heard. They haven't done the media stuff. I'm sure he'll answer. But if it's just like a normal day off, it's bizarre. Like if he's yeah. sick, you get it. But if it's like a normal day off against a lefty, Chaz hasn't been like super hot like he has been, you know, a month ago. But kind of surprising because Chaz crushes lefties. He's one of your best hitters he against does. lefties. I, I, personally, I like the lineup. I would have had Chaz and left Jordan DH, and I don't necessarily need Yiner to play against lefties. Like, if the decision for me is Chaz versus Yiner against a left handed pitcher, I'm actually going Chaz. Yeah, I am too. And, and I think that the other thing to me is that you're trying to get this team playoff ready and you're trying to, you know, tune it up in terms of your lineup. And, and I just expected them to kind of have more of a. You know, a sense of urgency, go for it offensive lineup. They've been very productive offensively. They've been putting up big runs, lots of hits. In order for that to continue, I heard Paul talk about this this morning, and I kind of got that cringe moment where he was like, this series doesn't mean anything. I mean, it's it's a meaningless series. And, you know, and his whole thing was it's the Yankees in last place as opposed to the buildup about the Yankees-Astro series before the season starts. 
but there's so much riding on this series and every series going forward because you're in a dogfight. And you need this, and so you can't take your foot off the gas pedal. We talked about it. And they've been kind of following suit, finally just putting the pedal down, keeping the foot completely planted on it, and saying, we're going 100 miles an hour now. We're gone, and we're going to push forward to the finish. This isn't bad. It's just I'd like to see Chaz in the lineup. Yeah, that's a bad take by Paul. Uh, you have 27 games left to play, and you're in a virtual tie with Seattle. Every game matters. Like, does this have the allure of a normal Yankees-Astro series? No, because the Yankees don't have any stakes. The Astros have all the stakes. Where in years past, it's Yankees-Astros. Both of them have stakes on the line. But whenever you're 27 games out of the regular season, you're currently tied virtually in a tie for first place with Seattle. You're trying to make the playoffs every game is very very significant uh i don't agree with that at all um the other day the the martin maldonado was talking afterwards because we we talked about this yesterday and whenever the ashes have an off day my mind just kind of wanders and i start thinking about things but i read this in mctaggart's piece after the conclusion of the series sweep against boston Martin Maldonado, just talking about the offense because the offense was setting records, most hits in a five-game span in Astros franchise history. We have went on and on about this offense. Altuve, best offensive second baseman in the American League. Jordan, when he's clicking, maybe the best offensive player in baseball, one of the best offensive players in baseball. Kyle Tucker's playing, if it weren't for Shohei Otani, to a top three MVP level. Jeremy Pena's heating up. Brantley's back. Chaz has been good. Like You can go on and on. Yiner's been one of the best offensive rookies in all of baseball. You can go on and on about this offense it was just a matter of getting them all going at the same time and for you know five day five games in a row after you were one hit at Detroit final two games of that series the three games at Boston the offense is clicking the offense looks good and Maldonado was asked after the game just to the media like what he thought about this offense and Martin Maldonado compared the lineup to the Houston Astros 2019 lineup Maldi said I would say that last five games it reminds me a little bit of 2019, the team we had, that's deep. So here's a player, not a good offensive player, and Martin Maldonado comparing this lineup that hasn't been at full cylinder all year because of injuries, because of some struggles throughout the year. But he's con- he's comparing this lineup right now to the 2019 Houston Astros. And look, it feels hyperbolic, but this is an offense. We saw McTaggart tweet the other day, too, that has the second most runs since the All-Star break. It, it, it definitely... It's kind of like, uh, not smoke and mirrors, but it's kind of like where people get distracted off of seeing what really could be, right? I mean, it's one thing to say this team isn't going to be the 19 team because it wasn't this potent all year because of injuries and because guys out of the lineup. But when you look at what it could be going into the playoffs, that's a totally different story where you can make comparisons across the board simply because of what we just saw in this six-game span going 5-1 and one on the road. Simply because we saw that when everybody's healthy and now Uncle Mike can be a viable part of your offense finally, but maybe better late than never as he looked like he hadn't missed a beat in the way he's hitting the baseball, that when we talk about lineups, when we used to talk about 7, 8, and 9 being a vulnerable spot where it was almost a black hole of, of outs to be had over the past scattered years for the Astros, and 19 was a successful year not like that, but when you look at what they have now, there's so many different ways they can beat you. There's so many different guys that can punish you and Maldonado in the lineup for at least two or three of those games in a five-game span is one of the only weak spots, with the exception of Jake Myers, who's hot and cold. The rest of those seven guys can rake. Yeah, and Maldi's playing three of every five games, mm-hmm. right? So, like, it kind of, yeah, he's he stinks. He's not good offensively. 
but at least he's playing 60% of the games as opposed to, to 90% of the games. What frustrates me, like looking back at the 2019 season, because this was the Astros World Series lineup in Game 7. Like, th- this is all like this is all or nothing. The, your, your season's on the line. You, you're either eliminated tonight or you win the World Series tonight. Against Max Scherzer, Game 7 at home, Minute Maid Park, 2019. The thing that irritates me that entire postseason with uh, with AJ Hinch, you know, especially in this game with Garrett Cole a little bit, leaving him in the bullpen. Zach Greinke was pitching well. Maybe leave him in the game. Maybe don't go to Will Harris for the third game in a row. But, but, but besides that, we, remember back then, like the outfield share in right was fifty fifty. Kyle Tucker was yet to be like a permanent full-time player. He and Josh Reddick were sharing time in right field. So one day it'd be Josh Reddick. The next day it would be Kyle Tucker. And it aggravated me because you could tell that Kyle Tucker was a better potential player. Reddick was the veteran. And maybe there's a comparison to be drawn there. Reddick was the Maldonado then. Kyle Tucker's the Yiner Diaz then. But that's one thing that drove me crazy looking back at the, the 2019 World Series is that Reddick was getting at bats over Kyle Tucker, which is silly. But here was the Astros Game 7 lineup in 2019. And see how this year's lineup stacks up. And we don't really know like this set lineup currently for the Astros. You know that Altuve, Bregman are going to be at the top. You know that Jordan and Tucker are going to be in the middle. You throw in a Chaz, you throw in a Yiner, you throw in an Abreu, it kind of changes every day, which I don't care. I'm not a huge, like, you need the same batting order every single day. You know, play your best players against lefties, against righties, whatever. 2019, Game 7 of the World Series, A.J. Hinch filled it out like this. 2023 Astros or this lineup in 2019? George Springer, Jose Altuve, Michael Brantley, Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel, Jordan Alvarez was hitting sixth, Carlos Correa, Robinson Chirinos, and Josh Reddick was your lineup that day. That was your lineup, Game 7, 2019 World Series. I honestly think you can put up a lineup with this year's team that's better. Martin Maldonado is comparing this year's team to that year's team. Here's where I think the 2023 Astros have an advantage versus that 2019 team. Middle of the order. Like, you had Brantley, Bregman, Yuli in the middle of the order, and Brantley, great contact hitter, we know that. He's going to have tons of base hits and get on base a lot. Not a terrific power guy. Alex Bregman was hitting home runs back in 2019. Good power guy. Yuli Gurriel, he'll, he'll, he'll run into some home runs. Back then, he was hitting 25 home runs a year, somewhere around there. He was a very good contact guy in 2019. I'll take this year's middle of the order over that year's middle of the order. I know that you had Jordan Alvarez, but Jordan Alvarez in 19 was not the Jordan Alvarez that you have now. You had Kyle Tucker, but he was on the bench in that game, and he's certainly not the Kyle Tucker that he is now. The middle of this lineup, whenever you're going out every single day, where you're going Jordan, Tucker, whatever combination, 3-4, I'll take over You know Brantley, Bregman, Yuli Gurriel back then. Now this top of the order in 19... I don't know, like Springer Altuve, you still have Altuve, who's kind of the same guy, and you have Bregman, who's been on a red-hot tear since the All-Star break. I don't think Martin Maldonado's wrong. You know, I think it can be. It really can, and that's why when you were reading off, especially if we're just going to go off the Game 7 lineup, I think this year's team is better because I think that, you know, it depends on which George Springer you're going to get, and he could get really super hot, or he could he could go through a slump, you know, and we know that he got hot at the right moments in 17 in the World Series. You know that he was a great leadoff hitter, but Altuve has become that guy. I think the big thing to me was the fact that, you know, Chirinos wasn't anything, so with Maldi, it's a, it's a wash. Yeah, Chirinos probably a little bit better, but not not a hill right. that I'm going to die on. Exactly. And, and so when you look at the rest of the lineup, I mean, I, I think that the fact that you're taking the heart of your order, essentially, and moving it to the top of your order and have bigger, more powerful, better bats now... In the middle to the, you know, four, five, six, especially, that you go, 
I think there's more potency right now in the lineup that you, if they stay healthy, mm-hmm. that you could see in the playoffs this year as opposed to in 19. See, it reads as a, as a hyperbolic comment from Martin Maldonado, but I, I really don't think that it is. 23 Astro lineup right now, whichever order the Dusty's putting them out. Better than the lineup that got you to the World Series in 19. I mean, there was a lot of health. There was a great pitching staff. The bullpen was solid. But 19 World Series lineup, Astros lineup now, which are you picking? Also, do you believe the Astros bats can carry this team to another championship? This this team has some good starters. This team still has a very good bullpen. But can this offense put this team on its back when they need them? An outslug team, 713-780-ESPN. Busy show. DJ Bianami is going to be joining us at 3.30. Of course, covers the Texans uh, for ESPN. Todd Callis, the AT&T voice of the Houston Astros, will be joining us at 4.30. Who said it? Can we stay hot in Who Said It? Joe George is, uh, hasn't beat us in, I think, like three months. I think he's over the summer at Who Said It. 713-780-3776 on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ESPN97.5. He's at Pac-Man Joel. I'm at Jeremy Branham. I've been saying Joe George's Twitter handle, but I don't think he's getting any traction off of that. And plus, I don't like saying it. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN97.5 and ESPN92.5. Hey, before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at my bookie. Big weekend coming up. You know, there's lots of college football started last night going through the weekend. We just talked about Astros-Yankees. Major League Baseball pennant races leading into the playoffs. If you love to watch sports and you love it when it really heats up, when you got football going on with baseball going on with NFL coming around the corner and soccer and all the other things, and you want to even make it more enticing and interesting for you as you watch because you're not there in the stadium, or maybe you are, go to mybookie.ag because mybookie.ag is going to take care of you by allowing you to make wagers and, and try to make those games not only entertaining and interesting, but maybe profitable along the way. They're going to take care of you a million different ways by making sure that you are happy as a customer. You know what that means? That means bonuses. Bonuses all over the place. If you're a new customer to mybookie.ag, there's a sign-up bonus, which means you put money into your account, they throw money on top of that into your account, and you have more money to bet with. If you already are an existing customer, there's a reload bonus where you once again can just put money into your account like you already have, and you're going to get a bonus for doing so. And again, more more money to put more action on more games. You can play the point spreads. You even can do live casino gambling, and they have live dealers right there to uh, assist you. It's absolutely fantastic. But the main thing, as I always tell you, is you go to mybookie.ag because they take care of their customers. Been in business for over a decade They love taking care of the customers with lots of different bonuses and lots of different ways you can win. Check them out today. Use the promo code BET975 whenever you see an opportunity. That's how you cash in on those bonuses. That's how you get even more money in your account. As I always tell you, bet anything, anytime, anywhere with the only place I tell you to do it. It's mybookie.ag. Oh, I'm all pumped up that it's a Friday. The joker to the left is clown to the right. You're like, it's a bad day. You're You're both grumpy. I'm like excited. I'm happy. Final three hours of the week. College football tomorrow. I'm at TDECU Stadium. You're over here just wet blanket. Wet wet blanket uh, blank and wet blanket Joe. I'm still having a good day. Just a little annoyed. Man. Making it work. I'm not. I'm not hiding it. (laughs) Your blanket just gave me the, like, the, he just (laughs) pierced, like, me with lasers. Right through my heart. You admitted you you agreed with me. Moving absolutely Moving does suck. sucks. I don't, yeah, I don't I don't pity you at all for that. That is awful. I have sympathy for you on that one. Actually, seven one three seven eight zero. But you're bougie. I'm surprised you didn't hire like people that just like move your rooms from one house to another. Nope. It's like uh, <laughs> it's like uh, Francis in uh, Stripes. Uh, they can move the big stuff, but you touch my stuff, I kill you. I uh, don't don't mess with my I, other I, stuff. I tip my cap at you because you should move your own stuff, especially if it's like not moving like cities. You know, like if you move from Houston to let's just say like Raleigh, North Carolina, 
Not that I'm throwing any hints at Raleigh, North Carolina, but that's a little different. Like you hire movers for that. If you're moving from, you know, Pearland to Kingwood, eh, just move yourself. Just move yourself. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. But if you want to be lazy bones, that's okay too. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. This Astros offense, it's been clicking on all cylinders. Most hits over a five game stretch in franchise history. I mean, Jose Altuve, Jordan Alvarez have been unbelievable. Kyle Tucker's been unbelievable. Alex Bregman's been crushing the baseball like, you know, top five MVP form Alex Bregman from back in the day since the All Star break. Pena's hitting up. Yiner's doing his thing. How does this offense stack up to offenses of the past? Maldonado says it's right up there with the 2019 Astros that got to within a game of winning a World Series. 713-780-3776. Let's go out to the HRP listener line. Rob, you're in the hive with the Killer Bees. What's up, Rob? Hey, guys. Appreciate you taking my call. Uh, I think at full strength with everybody uh, either hitting their their average or, or doing what they normally do or even better, yes, the Astros offense can lead into a championship, but you got to remember – Almost in every World Series, uh, somebody has gone non-existent. Bregman's done it before. In 19, Jordan just vanished. Last year, the Astros overcame Altuve being non-existent. So my fear would be one or two of those guys getting in a slump in the World Series. So I would I would have to double back and say, no, I don't think the offense can carry him to, to four victories without the pitching staff living up to their expectations. Appreciate it, Rob. I mean, there there are players that disappear. He 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 was nice and didn't mention the killer bees in the postseason. Mm. But you look back at the 2019 Astros. George Springer hit 205 in that entire postseason, so he was a guy that disappeared. Bregman hit some bombs, but he hit 234 in that postseason. Jordan Alvarez in 2019 hit 241. Carlos Correa was below the Mendoza line. Torino's Reddick below the Mendoza line. So, yeah, you're right, and it's a small sample, so the averages kind of look a little quirky whenever you talk about postseason baseball. Now. I think something that's a strength for the Astros in 2023, like if Rob's right and you have a player here or there that just don't produce like we're accustomed or expect them to produce, like this isn't a team. Like 2019 was strictly offense because that's the year. No, that, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm confusing years here. But this is an Astros team that has a couple of starters that can win games on their own. Like Justin Verlander can go out there and beat, beat you two to one. Framber Valdez, like he throws a no hitter, it seems like every fourth start. Like he can go out there and shut down an opposing offense. It's a bullpen that if you have a lead turning it over to the bullpen, you feel comfortable winning that game. So like, I think that this Astros offense is capable of like carrying you into the postseason. I think it's capable of carrying you a game or two in each and every one of the series. Why I'm bullish on the Astros is because they have several different ways to beat you. The offense can beat you if they're hot. Verlander and Fromberg can beat you. Christian Javier has been awful lately, but if Javier can, and this is not something I expect, maybe this is just wishful thinking, but if Javier can figure it out over the final month of the season, he is capable of picking a team up and beating them any single day. And then, like I said, you give a lead to this bullpen, you feel like you should win the game. Yeah, you really should. I just think that the the ability to adapt has what's made this team so special for this long run and this golden era of Astros baseball is, you know, they can unload on you with offense, but you have the capability of, of having it to, of beating teams in a multitude of ways. Now, I said that when you looked at what this offense could be when it gets healthy, that the offense just may have to carry them this year and be, the, you know, the the big dogs. It doesn't mean that everybody else in the room is less than, because to your point, you're not looking at journeymen and and veterans that are you know over the hill. And you're just trying to kind of use glue and, and tape to try and get the pitching staff together. You know that you've got some guys that have been there, done that, and been the big dogs for you in the past in the playoffs. 
even with a Javier, but right up front with Verlander and Fromber, knowing that you got other guys now that are younger that look like they can contribute as well. And then you can rest on the bullpen in the, in the later innings because you know that you got those high leverage guys in the six, seven, eight, nine. They can do it in a multitude of ways. But right now, I think that they are going to lean, at least for the time being, on the offense. And it's been working. I mean, the pitching staff's not going to let you down, per se. But it's a lot easier to pitch in ball games with a three, four, five run lead because they're just absolutely dominating other pitching. Yeah, yeah, that's where this Astros team seems to, you know, have a really good chance to to go through the American League. Is that you know the offense can beat you? You have some starting pitchers that can beat you, and you have a bullpen that you're confident if you, you hand them a lead that they should win. Eight four three seven. I'd have to see. This is interesting. I'd have to see how the nineteen lineup would fare with a pitch clock in the game before I could say one is better than the other for sure. Because we can see how the lineup looks in twenty three with a pitch clock. I'm inclined to say the twenty three lineup is better. Also, if you put the twenty three lineup back in nineteen without a, pl- a pitch clock, I take the twenty three lineup all day every day over nineteen. Do you think the pitch clock's affecting offensive players? I don't. See, I, I, I don't think so at all. Now, I, I think early on it was definitely an adjustment because much like when we were talking about and you made the point about what might be ailing uh, Javier, I think the hitters made an adjustment. They had to, right? The same way we said that in high leverage or stressful situations when things don't go your way, pitchers took a trip around the mound. Pitchers caught their breath, kind of reset the deck, got back up on the hill. Can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I think for hitters, we go out. You know, we go back to how many times Altuve would open and close the batting gloves, and you know, and 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 be fidgety and have to do all these different things in between every pitch. So it was an adjustment early. Now I don't think so because I think it's almost like hitting in the cages. You know, every ten or twelve seconds another ball's coming, and so you just kind of made the adjustment early in the season, and now you just you know you grip it and rip it. Honestly, I think it's a benefit to the hitters. Actually. Um Offensive numbers are up. Now, there's a lot of different reasons why the offensive numbers are up. You've eliminated the shift, so like should be up a little bit. But we talk way more about pitchers being casualties of the pitch clock than hitters, right? Like Alec Manoa has been awful this year after he was like a can't miss prospect and was an all-star last year. We talk I, I firmly believe Christian Javier is being affected by the pitch clock. Like the, the pitching coaches for the Astros are like, man, he's got the same stuff. The fastball is you know right there where it was last year. The spin's close to where it was last year. Why is he struggling? I think it's lack of mechanics because he's trying to rush every single time that he's pitching in high leverage spots. Um I, I think at times it affects Fromber. I I think it affects Fromber when pitches add up in an inning. I don't think it affects him like pitch 1 through 15 in an inning. I think it catches up to him when he goes over 20 pitches in an inning. Or like you said the other day, when there's a lot of activity in an inning and he can't kind of cool off or you know take a trip around the mound like you mentioned. So, But if, if, if that stuff is negatively affecting and impacting pitchers, then it has to have a positive effect on hitters because if they're struggling with pitch clock, then who's taking advantage of it? The offensive guy. So I think it actually benefits the offense. It absolutely does. And I think it's more substantial than people want to think. Hitters in between pitches just want to get ready for the next pitch. They're not thinking about a whole lot of things. Pitching pitching is a different animal in the fact that you're, you're already thinking every pitch through with your catcher and you're trying to think situationally of what do I got, where are the runners on base, what am I doing if it's hit back to me? Who, which base am I covering? But in between pitches was kind of your ability to kind of reset for the next pitch and do all that stuff. Now on top of it, where's the pitch clock at? Well, oh my God, if it's down under five, can I step off? Do I have a move left to go to a base if I'm in the stretch? What am I doing? And you're over-processing information, which makes you feel rushed, which in a lot of cases makes you inera- inact- inaccurate yeah. 
and, and limits your ability to put a ball where you want to put it. Yeah, I think to your point, like for the hitters, it was more about getting comfortable with it. And it took a little while, maybe like early in the year to get comfortable. Like Kyle Tucker's an example. Kyle Tucker didn't like the pitch clock. He, you know, he, he liked to get out of the box. He liked to rub his hands with the dirt. And then all of a sudden just goes batting gloves because I don't have the time to do that. And not saying that Kyle Tucker's batting gloves are the reason he's a great baseball player. He's a great baseball player, period. But it's being comfortable in the box and finding out what works for you. So I, I think that the pitch clock's actually benefited the hitters. Uh, 713-780-ESPN, HRP listener line, 713-780-3776. Houston Texans reporter, insider, all that great stuff for ESPN.com. DJ Bianami, he's going to join us next and talk about the state of this Houston Texan offensive line. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5. Before we go to the break, tell you about the good people at Apollo Men's Health. Apollo Men's Health, making things happen for people on a daily basis. Three locations to better serve you, now in League City as well as the two near downtown. Bottom line is, as you get older, you feel like you don't have the energy you once had. You don't get the things done in the day that you used to be able to get done, and you're not feeling like your chipper, younger self. You can get those feelings back again. You can do something about it, and you can invigorate your days with more energy. By going to Apollo Men's Health, they have a ton of different ways they can help you. Look, people are struggling on a daily basis from the boardroom to the weight room to the bedroom. And they feel like, well, that's just one of those things that goes with aging. There's nothing I can do about it. Oh, no, 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 no. There's plenty you can do about it. It starts by going to the website. Go to ApolloMH.com. See all the services that they offer. If there's a few that you think might benefit you, sign up for an appointment right there online. When you do, most major insurance is accepted, and there's discounts for military personnel and first responders. More importantly than anything else, after you do that, go in with an open mind. Be honest and answer their questions. Tell them where you're lacking. Tell them where you'd like to improve. They are here to help. They can get you on a weight loss program quickly. If you want to work out, they've got ways to recover quicker, ways to energize your workouts. You need more energy, period. They go everything from hormone therapy to B12 shots and everything in between for both men and for women. And if you want to monitor your progress in the gym, body composition analysis too. And if you don't have time to go to the gym but you need to lose weight, they also have FDA-approved semi-glutide. That'll get you losing up to six pounds in a week, and you don't even have to go and hit the weights or the treadmill. It's fantastic. Tell them I sent you by, get a free body comp, or uh, get a B12 shot on your first official visit. But make sure you check them out because they're great people that do great things and get you results. They're the good people at Apollo Men's Health. Good to have DJ Bietemi on with us on the HRNP guest line. DJ, thanks for taking a, a few minutes late in the week. Uh, a lot of interesting things happening this week, of course, with the Houston Texans. They've announced their 53-man roster, some surprising cuts. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, this offensive line, DJ, uh, I look at this, and you're, you're probably without three starters in week one. You're without Juice for the first four. You're without Kenyon Green for the entire season. Who knows when Titus Howard is going to come back, although it seems like it's going to be sooner rather than later. Uh, talk me off the ledge here a little bit. Why, why should we not be as concerned about the offensive line as many, including me, am? Well, you know, honestly, I mean, they'll get Titus Howard by week two at the latest. Because so, remember, he broke his hand the Saturday night practice and pass pro. And week four, week one will be five weeks since that. And then week two will be six. And it was a four to six week injury. So he should be back by week two the latest. And if you have Titus, you got Shaq, you got Laramie Tunsil, you just, gotta, you just have to have a placement level players at center and left guard, and you'll be just fine. No team in the entire NFL has five good to great offensive linemen unless you're the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. Those are two teams. Everybody else that have considerably good offensive lines have at least two to three really good to great guys. Then they just have guys fill in because if you have Laramie, you have Titus, you have Shaq, those three guys should elevate the play of whoever fills in for Juice. 
is what I thought of the King and Green. Like, when I was thinking that they could be a top 10 unit, it was because of those three, not because of Juice and not because of Kenyon. I knew when Juice and Kenyon, they're both, you know, young players. Kenyon was going into year two, and Juice was going into year one. So, like, I wasn't going to expect much of them anyway. So, I was more banking on those three playing at a very good to great level and elevating the guys around them. So, I mean, as long as the guys you put in aren't turnstiles or cones blocking, the offensive line still should be good. I think there's been a lot of hysteria and, and overreaction when and people are acting like they just lost Laramie Tunsil, Shaq, and Howard for the entire year when all they did was really lose Kenyon Green and Juice Scruggs. I like the way you say that. Although, who knows who's going to play center? Who knows who's going to play left guard? What is your guess, week one, offensive line? Because I, I see some possible turnstiles in that offensive line week one against a good Baltimore defense. I could see center. I could see uh, Patterson, the six-round pick out of Notre Dame. He played a little bit in the pre- Obviously, he played in the preseason. He played some first-team reps in our last preseason game. And then you could put Dieter at left guard. He started at left guard, and the offensive line looked fine. Like, Dieter played with the first-team offense, and – offense when CJ was out there, he was pressured on exactly, and I quote, 0% of his dropbacks. Even the one play where he kind of scrambled and threw it to Robert Woods, that wasn't even considered a pressure because the guy that was trying to um, de-tackle that was Shaq was blocking went super low and lost his balance, but he was basically blocked out of the way. He couldn't make a play. So even Dieter was in there at left guard and there was no issues. So it's really about I think Dieter probably start at left guard, but who can put that center? And Patterson goes out there. Dieter has experience. He's a veteran. Obviously, he's not great. But you can get by with Dieter and Patterson as long as LT plays to his contract, Shaq plays to his contract, and Howard plays to his. So that's where I'm looking at it. Because, again, if you look across the NFL, I remember somebody asking me, because I was like, oh, I don't think they could be a top-five unit. And I said, all right, they might not be top two. But if you find three, four, and five and let me know if they have five, good to great offensive linemen, and you'll quickly realize they don't, right? It's really they have three good to great guys, and that's basically that. DJ, I'm curious because of the other big or bigger story within all of this offensive line is not just what happened to Kenyon Green, but how it all went down and what Nick Casario said because I think that if he had his druthers, he'd probably want to put it on a fishing reel and pull it back because – it had brought up so many questions, and it got the ire of everybody, including me, and I was pretty fired up about it. How do you admit that you knew about this in May, and it wasn't an if, it was a when, and yet we're going into the regular season, and he really didn't do anything from then to now to really enhance the position, protect for the injury, and set yourself up for a better chance to protect your franchise quarterback? Um, so I, I get what you're saying. So on the first part with Katie Green, you know, just about he possibly having surgery, could have had surgery in May. Um, I'm guessing Cam Green thought he could fight through it, and he made that decision for himself. I mean, a lot of times these players have control over what they want to do sometimes when it comes to injuries. So I can relate to Cam Green thinking right, he could push through it. It didn't work out. They gambled. They rolled the dice. It didn't work out. That happens. Injuries happen in football. Um, but I would say that I think they did try to prepare for this because they went and they signed Dieter. You know, like they went and they traded for Josh Jones. Obviously, the King and Green injury happened, and obviously after that, they went and they got uh, Kendrick Green from um, Pittsburgh, who didn't dress in 2022, but started 15 games in 2021. So I wouldn't say that they didn't do anything to address it. Um, I think that they, they tried, and they, they made their adjustments. They made the moves. They even signed Fan, and I think Fan has played guard in his career. So they have 
and try to have backup guys. And another thing you have to always remember, backup offensive linemen usually aren't that good anyway. So, like, yeah, you can go you can go in, all right, I'm going to go grab this guy, go grab these names, but the chances of those names that you get are going to be backups. There's going to usually be a drop-off regardless from the starter to backup because the offensive line is the most undeveloped, underdeveloped position in the entire NFL, probably after the quarterback. I would just, if I could push back a little bit, what I would say is, is that, one, we know that depth's important. Guys are always going to get hurt in this league. And, two, if you already know, have a preconceived notion that your former first-round pick is less than 100% and it may get worse and it's probably going to happen, God forbid it would happen if this team got off to a hot start or was clicking offensively, and then he went down, but that you would have some guys that you felt, you know, you, you cut his back up right after he got hurt, which right. was a little surprising as well, and now you're kind of behind the eight ball, you know, trying to kind of makeshift it, make it work real quick before week one. Yeah, but they were able to get Dieter right back, and Dieter's on the practice squad, and then elevate him before the, before the week one game, and you put him on left guard, and that situation is not filled, you know, so like, I get what you're saying, too. Like, that's a fair point. I'm not saying your point is inaccurate or it just makes sense. It makes total sense. I just don't – I'm not overblowing losing Kenyon Green because, again, like, he's young, he's developing, and he wasn't really that good in 2022. So, like, he's a young developing player. It wasn't like we are going to get a pro ball, all-pro type of player out of Kenyon Green anyway. So, I'm like, losing Kenyon Green is bad. If you want to look at it from the draft perspective, cool. When I have that discussion, fine by me. But we're talking about the actual player on the field. Like, right now, he's at a replacement-level player. He's a replacement-level type player right now mm-hmm. that we think could develop and hopefully develop into a Pro Bowl type guy. But for right now, on September 1st, 2023, Kane Green and Michael Dieter, there isn't that much of a gap. So, is like, it a, But is it a me, DJ double-down? Do you double-down and say there's still a top-10 offensive line? Yeah, absolutely. Because, again, I'm still with the point that if you have three – Good to great offensive linemen. I know we know LT is great. We know um, Titus had a very good year last year, and he should build on that. Shaq Mason is a good guard. If you have three guys that are good to great, then the other two, you, you're just not going to have five great offensive linemen. That's where you're not going to have the Dallas Cowboys 2016 offensive line. You're not have the Eagles last year. Like Those are rare occurrences when you have five guys, four to five guys that are already pro ball, all pro caliber players. That's just rare. So we have three. You can still be a top ten unit, and I still think they can be a top ten unit. DJ Bianami is joining us on the HRP guest line. Covers the Texans for ESPN, ESPN dot com. Uh, DJ, I'm a I'm a Tank Dell guy. I, I don't hide my my allegiance. I don't hide my bias. I'm a huge Houston Cougar homer. So I love Tank Dell, and I love what he has shown in camp. I love what he's shown in preseason. I'm curious how you think the Houston Texans will use him. He missed the second preseason game. Starters didn't play in the first preseason game. Seemed like he was behind Noah Brown, uh, Robert Woods, Nico. Collins were for the very little time we got to see the starters in the in the third game against the Saints and it seems like he could be used as a situational punt returner as well how do you think the Texans use Tang Dell early in the season well offensively I think he is the fourth receiver behind Noah Brown Nico and Robert but I do think as the season progresses, he'll have his role where he'll come in on certain downs like maybe like third and you know they try to you you know create matches for him and get him the ball in space and obviously, you'll see him in the punt game. I think he'll probably be the punt. Like the, since they cut uh, Desmond King, like the, the next best option at punt return is Tank Dell because he, one, he can obviously catch the punt, which Desmond King was really good at. But I think Tank's more dynamic once he gets the ball in his hands. 
from a punt return standpoint. Um, so I think it's going to be common that while well, back offensively, I think it's going to be a combination of situationally trying to get Tank in a rotation because again, like Noah Brown is a respectable player in my eyes, but when you draft Tank those in the third round, you're expecting to utilize him a little bit more, especially that first year. But he's going to have to earn it. Like he has flashed a bunch, but until he solidifies that role in the starting lineup, he's going to be a rotational piece, which is fine because he is a rookie. Was drafting the third round, so you don't have to force him into the uh, into the game. And as long as he continues to develop and continues to master the role that he's giving, now they can put more on his plate and more on his plate. So I, I think the starting lineup, receiver wise, when they go eleven personnel, three receivers are going to be Dalton Schultz, not Dalton Schultz, Robert Woods, Nico, Noah Brown, Dalton Schultz in the tight tight end spot. But I think as going to progress, I think you could see Tank Dale getting more reps. But I think week one, week two, you're probably going to see. Not as much Tank Dell as we saw in training camp. So, uh, real quick, DJ, encouraging, exciting, all the things that go with Tank. Is it fair to say disappointing that John Mechie is where he is on the depth chart right now? Is it more to say about what he's been through and, and the offseason, or is there something that we're missing here? Because I expected him to kind of already start making his mark on this team. Yeah, I think that's why I always try to, whenever, whenever someone asks me about John Mechie, whether it's on the radio, text messages, whatever, you know, I always tempered it because when August came around, when he finally was going to start practicing again, that would have been his first time really doing football activities with pads on since December 4th, 2021 in the SEC Championship game. So that's almost two years removed where he, and remember he had torn ACL and he just defeated cancer. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a lot a much longer road to coming back to being impact player that he was at Alabama than most people realize. I think a lot of people may have underestimated what cancer can do to the body and what not playing football does to the body where you're having to knock off a lot of rust. So I always was tempering my expectation when it came to Mechie because when you go through all that, it's not easy to just hop back in and be back to normal. Some people can do it, but those who are freaking natures. And those are rare. Those are the exception, not the rule. So, um, me seeing where Mechie is on the depth chart right now, I'm not disappointed by that at all. That's kind of what I expected because when you don't play football, well, play the football game in almost 24 months, this is what I expect. DJ, uh, great having you as always. Get some rest this weekend. I know you've already been on the grind, but it really starts next week. Uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. DJ Bianami. Uh, covers the Houston Texans, ESPN, ESPN.com, our guest on the HRP guest line. Let's talk about that offensive line, because DJ was a little bit more optimistic than than most. Uh, Patterson, he predicted at center week one. Uh, Dieter, left guard week one. Mm, is that a good offensive line? Also, you can pick one receiver right now. You can pick one receiver that the Houston Texans will have on their roster week one, 2024. Week one next season. T, T. Higgins? Mike Evans, which of the two? 713-780-3776. Killer Bees, ESPN 97.5 and ESPN 92.5. What you should be looking to do tomorrow is headed out to TDECU Stadium and watching some great college football. Houston, UTSA, a couple teams receiving votes in some polls. Uh, UTSA 29th in the AP poll when you calculate all the receiving votes. Football season is here. U of H home opener is tomorrow. Cougars kicking off their first season as members of the Big 12. 
12 and a great matchup. Cougars hosting the Roadrunners from UTSA. The theme for Game 1, Celebrate Houston. It is Houston birthday week. Celebrate Houston and the Cougars celebrating Houston with those Love You Coug Blue uniforms. Family four-packs are available. Get those right now. Four tickets, four hot dogs, four chips, four sodas, all for just $60. I should tell you that tickets are gonna, they're going to sell out by before tomorrow. I think it's down to 2,000 tickets are left. It's going to sell out. So if you want to go, you better act fast. 713-GO-COUGS, UHCougars.com slash tickets. Individual tickets as well for $20. And they also released a Love You Houston package yesterday. $15 ticket and or $15 parking. The best part of this, if you buy one of these $15 tickets is the Love You Houston package, it automatically enters you for a chance to win a game-worn Love You Coug Blue jersey that's right $15 ticket and or $15 parking the love you houston package and you're entered uh, into an opportunity to win the love you coog blue uniform a game worn love you coog blue uniform come early and enjoy all the activities in cougar alley in front of the stadium including the huge led led tv screen the bud light backyard food trucks and more spirit of houston at the half entertainment by the cheerleaders cougar doll shasta sasha dj yobi yobes in the student section get your tickets now about two thousand or left it's going to sell out get yours right now 713 go cougs uhcougars.com slash tickets don't miss all the fun and pageantry of college football come early be loud and wear red here's the uh here's what dj was talking about the offensive line he made really good points kind of maybe talking everybody us listener A little bit, you know, about where the offensive line's at. And I, I get where he's coming from. Like, if, if you look at those five guys and you just kind of take the average of their talent and put it all together, come up with your, you know, your solution between the five, you still have some really good offensive line that you're going to count on. Week one, not as much, because I don't know if Titus Howard's going to be ready for week one. Doesn't sound like he's going to be. Um, but Laramie Tunsil is a good football player, obviously. One of the best left tackles in the league. Shaq Mason, it needs to be good for what you traded for to get him. Not that you traded a lot, but you traded for to get him. You made him a priority, and then you paid him. Titus has to be good after you pay him. Although I would say that Titus Howard better be 100% before he comes back. The way that the Kenyon Green situation went down, whether it was bad luck, whether it was bad decisions, you knew since May, you let him play through it, he was embarrassing himself. The way that that was handled, Titus Howard better be 100%. Because if he's playing in his first game less than 100% on a new contract and he re-aggravates an injury, I mean, that that's criminal That what, what the Houston Texans will be doing to a second offensive lineman. Yeah, no question about it, Jerry. But the other thing that worries me is something that you know has been a hot button with me over the last several years, and that is when you start, whether it's by, by changing positions that you have a player and ask a player to play, or just that you keep interchanging guys. You can't build continuity when guys are shifting around the offensive line. Or no matter what you did when you uh, you really solidified your left and right tackle and your right guard, you're sitting there saying one of the most important possessions positions on the offensive line is center, mm-hmm. and now you're rolling through those guys. You're basically, you were admitting going in, or when you listened to what DJ said, that you knew even in year two that Kenyon Green wasn't going to be the guy that a lot of people thought he was going to be. Yeah. And then on top of that, you started juggling who could be, and you literally cut and then pick back up the guy that's going to end up being his one of his replacements. And you can't tell me that that builds continuity amongst the line because you can all five do your job, but if you don't work together, there's going to be holes and gaps that are going to create problems for your quarterback and your offense. Yeah, Jared Patterson, six-round center, that's going to be playing in his first-ever NFL game, in his first-ever NFL game, Dieter. 
Look, Adita was solid in the preseason. I don't think Dennis Allen was being very creative what he was doing defensively. I don't think he was blitzing a whole lot. So whenever there's zero percent, you know, rush on dropbacks, whenever no one's blitzing, they're sending four. It's a little different than when they're sending six. Uh, whenever they're sending complex blitzes, and they also like made Dieter available to everybody in the NFL. Like he's the Corey Jolks. Where Corey Jolks was in the Rule Five draft, nobody picked him up. You brought him back. Nice story, but is not very well thought of around the entire NFL. Like the Texans cut him. Like the Texans released him. Anybody. Nobody in the NFL could have picked him up, but nobody wanted to. And then what? D- like I understand what GJ saying. We're like, you know, Kenyon Green wasn't good anyways, so losing him is not that big a deal. I get that. But from a roster building perspective, you are going into the season with that player as the top player at that position. Yeah, no, I mean that's the thing. Your jokes analogy is is a good one because you would think that with as important as the offensive line is to every team in this league. And to know that there are plenty of teams lesser than at the offensive line, like the Texans of years past, when they were constantly scouring the waiver wire to figure out if there was one guy that could possibly boost them a little bit or give them better than what they have. If a guy passes all the way through and no one even sniffs uh, sniffs around and says, hey, you might be better off with us than them, mm-hmm. then what does that really tell you when we talk about depth and talent? Because it's one thing to say, well, we've got insurance policies, we've got depth. But if you have good depth, they're probably talented enough to play for somebody else, especially when you have some of the guys you already have on your offensive line or you're playing behind a first-round pick if that first-round pick was a hit instead of a miss or a potential miss. Like, go ahead. No, you know, I, so I, I'm just saying, I, I think you're, you're right that GMs around the league aren't knocking down their door to say, hey, we'd like to see if that guy's available. That could be a problem. Yeah. Like, if everybody in the NFL passed up on him, you were willing to expose him to the waiver wire how good really is he like he's on the practice squad like he's currently on the houston texas practice squad now you can elevate him up to three times but he's on your practice squad you weren't keeping him on your initial 53 and he's going to be your best left guard option and Kenyon green yes not a huge drop off from Kenyon green but you went into the season injury aside with Kenyon green supposed to be your left guard one after he was atrocious last year so it makes you question like nick casario building of that offensive line I mean, whenever he used it as a priority elsewhere. And I appreciate DJ's belief in and, and consistency in say, staying with this offensive line, saying it could be top 10. And, and, you know, they do have three really above average players on yeah. the offensive line. But to that point, taking it a step further with the waiver wire, if you put any of the guys that you had playing left guard or center on waivers, how many would be claimed as starters? Some might be claimed for depth, or you might get. Dieter uh, definitely wouldn't. No. Patterson definitely wouldn't. Um, you might get. Titus. The, Titus and Laramie. Teams looking for center depth might take a kid that just came out of college and say, I can develop that kid over the t- over time. But I'm saying as a starter? Yeah, that's why that's why that's why they took Patterson to develop him over time. Uh not be your, to be your week one starter. Uh seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. But but maybe the uh, the veterans can pick up the, the young guys. Hopefully that Hope is so. the case. Hopefully that is the case. And Coop Blaze says they're gonna throw screens and quick passes all game. Yeah, you're definitely right. I think that is gonna happen. Um T. Higgins is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. Joe Joe always talks about this because he loves he He's loves anointed him a T. Higgins. Texan. He's already anointed him a Texan. Uh, and then Mike Evans apparently they had the contract extension talk stall yesterday, so it looks like he's going to be free at the end of the year. So ponder this for a second while we take this call. Would you rather have T. Higgins, younger player, more expensive, or Mike Evans, older player, cheaper on the roster next year? Just ponder that for a second. Seven one three seven eight zero three seven seven six. Let's get Andy in here to talk about Texans' offensive line. What's up, Andy? Yeah, I, I think I think Nick just kind of rolled the dice when he said sooner or later. Maybe he was thinking, you know, he can play six, seven, eight games. Maybe he can tough it out the whole year. 
and then that didn't work. But I mean, hell, you lose you lose your center, and then you lose your another center, and then now you lost your left guard. The only thing you can do is just scrounge around and find replacements, right? You know, and the guy from Pittsburgh, look, he was upset because they made him play center, and he wanted to play guard. Hopefully, he, he pans out a little bit. I I don't know. It's look. He's going to have to keep running back in the block in the middle. That's all there is to it. You're right. You're right, Andy. Appreciate the call. And look, you're right. Like, their starting center, Scott Quesenberry, got hurt early in the year. Uh, you're rolling the dice, Kenny Green. It didn't work. The problem that I have is that if you just look at the depth chart at the start of training camp, left guard center, Kenyon Green, like, let's eliminate injuries for a second. Kenyon Green was awful last year. Mm-hmm. You're penciling him to be your left guard one. Michael Dieter was your backup at the position. And you literally cut him off your 53 and exposed him to waivers to where every team in the NFL could have picked him up. And nobody did. Nobody did. Your starting center was Scott Quesenberry to start camp, and he was awful last year. He was terrible. And then your backup center was Juice Scruggs, who you drafted in the second round, that you eventually wanted to be the starter for the, for the Texans at center at some point in the season. So, like, I'll even take away Scruggs. But you had three guys that were bad last year, Kenyon Green, Scott Quesenberry, Michael Dieter, that were fighting for one position. That's not good enough for me whenever I'm building an offensive line and I've spent the money and I'm protecting a rookie quarterback. That's the biggest thing to me is you're protecting your franchise quarterback. You drafted this kid believing and drafting him where you did, believing that he's your future and he's your now. And if he's your future and you're now and and you're dealing with this in terms of you know two-fifths of your offensive line and thinking that that's going to be okay or that's going to play for you know, an offense to be successful and he's not going to be running for his life, I think that's a big roll of the dice. That's a massive gamble. That's, you know, letting it all ride on one roll instead of kind of, you know, putting your chips where they, you know, where you, they need to be in a position where you can have some strategy and you can be stockpiling some insurance. You could be building up some continuity because the kid you're talking about that you're getting from Pittsburgh that you're trying to talk up is a kid that was, you know, Roethlisberger was bashing as this is the guy that they drafted to try and be my center and they were moving him to fullback. So, yeah, maybe he wanted to play guard more than he wanted to play center, but could he play either position at an NFL starting level? That's a bigger question, and that's the most important question if you're a Texans fan. 713-780-3776. we got Texans at four whenever we come back, and we'll, we'll get into the, a little bit of the Higgins-Mike Evans conversation as well. I already know Joe's answer. Curious what yeah. Blankers says. It's the Killer Bees on ESPN 97.5, ESPN 92.5.